Hey folks, I hope you're staying healthy and keeping your social distance out there. I'm speaking to you from my home studio, otherwise known as my bedroom closet. In this episode of Select 5, you're going to hear a conversation I had at Barshiru with Sarah Kernan, the chef and owner of Miss Ollie's Restaurant. We had this conversation in pre-coronavirus times. As we all know, the world's changed a whole lot in just the past few weeks, and it's pretty rough out there for everyone. Barshiru remains closed, and Miss Ali's is still open, but only for takeout orders right now. So if you have the means to support the restaurant, you should. Meantime, have a listen and get uplifted by Sarah's song selections. It's been said that music is food for the soul. And if you starve a chef's soul, it could lead to unsavory results in the kitchen. Luckily, that's not a problem at Miss Ollie's, because chef Sarah Kernan knows how to feed her spirit, and she's here to share her five-song recipe. Hey everyone, Pam Torno here, coming to you from the comfy surroundings of Bar Shiru in Oakland, the Bay Area's first hi-fi vinyl bar. And you're listening to Select Five, a series where music lovers and culture creators talk to me about five songs that give them life, give them meaning. And there's nothing more meaningful than a good-ass meal, am I right? My guest selector today has served many of those as the chef and owner of Miss Ollie's, a tasty Caribbean soul food joint in Old Oakland. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Pam. So how long have you been cooking? Oh, um, I have been cooking since I was about five years old. Oh my God. What yeah. were your first recipes? Um, I mean, it, I, so I grew up in the Caribbean uh, with my uh, maternal grandmother. And um, it was, I think the first thing I ever cooked was rice. Well, but it wasn't even the cooking. I was allowed to wash it. Okay. So it was like, um, I'm, it was more like an initiation into to cooking. Like, so I had to wash rice or pick peas or shell peas or pick okra. Like, there were things that I did as a child that weren't actually, like, a full meal, but they were part of cooking in my home. But you knew then that's what you wanted to do? Um, I think it was about no, that I knew. I think that the, the ancestors knew because I come from a line of cooks. My okay. grandmother, great-grandmother, and great-great-grandmother were cooks. So I think it was just, it's in the blood. Okay. Yeah. And your restaurant is actually named after your grandmother. Yes, it is. Miss oh. Ollie's. All right. And so those recipes also come from her? Or? They're inspired by her. They're inspired by her. They're inspired by my time um, spent in, as a child in the Caribbean. So, yeah. So you're from Barbados. You grew up in Barbados mm-hmm. with your maternal grandmother. Yes, I am. What was on the radio? Well, the radio station in Barbados, well, it's called Retifusion. And it was a type, everybody had these radios in their houses that were these flat wood panels that chimed through the the radio station of the island. And every, so there was on 24 hours. And there were just certain radio shows that reminded us at different times of the day. And so, you know, sort of one o'clock, it would be news hour, but then after that, it'd be followed by an agricultural show about what was what markets were happening on the island. And then there'd be like the water service, like tell you where which districts won't have water today. So it was like, it was your way of getting information because television oh, wasn't right. that prevalent yeah. in the 70s. So radio was like how we got our information. And then sort of about five o'clock, it was drive time where that's where like my brother and I and my uncles and aunts would be gathered around the radio because the songs that 
I think are some of the songs I'm sharing with you today, that would be the time that people would be listening to that type of music. Would you say that your sort of taste now is informed a little bit by what you were listening to on the radio? I, yeah, I think it's a combination. I also, um, like I said, I grew up in a house that lived 10 other people. And my and those were like my mother's younger siblings who were actually also closer to my brother and I's age. And so when they were traveling, they'd bring back music from the States or the UK or the UK. And then there was just, you know, there was just this, everything was centered around sound and music. And, and that's part of I think for me, Caribbean culture, music plays a heavy part of who we are. Well, music plays a heavy part of your restaurant, actually, yeah. right? Yeah. So your playlist, when you go into that restaurant, is it's pretty cool. Are you curating that yourself? Or is that collaborative? <laughs> I am, unfortunately, as some of my staff think. But yeah, I'm, I'm, in, charge, I'm in charge of curating the music, um, which will play when I'm there. When I'm not there, the, they, they might switch to something else. Okay. Yeah. So... How important do you think it's become, the music and the ambiance of a restaurant? Do you think that's become more important now than it has been in the past? Because I feel like I notice it more. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's just, that might just be me as a music nerd. It really ruins my dining experience if I don't like what's playing. Yeah. I mean, it can, for me, it can go either way. There's certain restaurants where I don't want to hear music, um, which will remain nameless because I don't think they're, they're tuned into what the music means for other people. Like I think there there's these soundtracks that they think sound great. Do you know what I mean? But I don't know if they're understanding like the history of the music or what that music means to certain people. So sometimes I'm offended by other people's playlists. Yeah. <laughs> and so well, I without naming the restaurant, what songs are you talking about specifically? That just <laughs> I mean, it's just that wannabe like hip you know uh, there's tribe called quest there's mm -hmm. you know wu-tang and then but there's no context for why to me why that music's playing in that particular restaurant yeah you know so i i don't like when that curation starts happening because it's it just seems like it's taking it because it's a cool factor yeah. you know what i mean and i and i don't i don't lend well to that kind of thing <laughs> That makes total sense. Yeah. Um, so you, uh, aside from growing up on, in Barbados, you also lived in London before you Well, came I was to born the in the UK. You were? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I was okay. born in a, a town called Leicester, which is the Midlands. Um, and uh, my parents had gone there to work, uh, like most West Indians who migrated to the UK. And we were living in a small mining village um, and because there was a hospital there where both my parents worked at. And then when my when I was three and my brother was seven, we were kind of shipped off to the Caribbean because my parents wanted us to have a different lifestyle. They wanted to, us to see how they'd grown up. How did you feel about that at the time? I, I don't have any memory of that, really. really? I mean, it, was, it was an experience. You know, it was like they both flew with us back to the Caribbean and they stayed with us for a moment to integrate us. And then we were just, we were there. <laughs> and it was... It was different, you know, because you're coming from the UK, even mm -hmm. though, like I said, I don't have much memory of the UK. It just once again, sounds were different. So, you know, like we lived in a, in a small village in the, in the Caribbean where at night all you hear are whistling frogs and just like chatter and the radio's on, like because the radio gets turned down late, but it still stays on. So it's just like the sounds were just different. And I think that I'm actually motivated by sound. Like sound really moves me. And so I think that's probably where it came from. Okay. If that makes sense. I think it does. Yeah. yeah. Being here in the Bay Area, there's not 
there's not a huge Caribbean community mm-hmm. here. Um, do you feel like you have to adjust your food or anything that you're doing to for West Coast sensibilities, or is there anything different about <laughs> what you do here versus if you were to do this in London or even in New York or anywhere where yeah. there is a big Caribbean community? Yeah, I think translation, you know, I'm, there was this article that got written in SF Chronicle when Michael Barr had um, reviewed Masali's, and we got this really glowing review, and then there was sort of afterwards people coming forward saying, it's not authentic, and then he was like, but what is authentic, do you know what I mean? And it, it can't be 100% authentic because I'm not in the Caribbean, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so there are things that we're substituting. The experience is different because there aren't that many West Indians that work here. I'm the only West Indian person that works in the restaurant, do you know what I mean? And so it is, and I've curated this restaurant to be based around the Caribbean, so I guess I'm tied to it in that way because I, I'm giving that experience. And as you said before, there are not that many West Indians that live in on this coast, mm-hmm. but there are nights when people, especially on the weekends, where people will come from Sacramento or and we've had people come from L.A. who are from the Caribbean who just want to be in a West Indian restaurant. Do you know what I mean? And so that will inform how I'm, what soundtrack I will play. I will switch. As soon as I see people walk through the door who I recognize, I will go and change the soundtrack because I know their age group. That's awesome. And I know that they're going to know this song and it's going to have like this kind of sweet feel. <laughs> and yeah. then you're going to be eating food that reminds you of home. Yeah. So Authenticity is, I think, not just what the ingredients is in the food, but like the just also the, whole the experience. multi-sensory exactly. experience. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you are um, a record collector, fair to say? I would say so. Not as much as I want to be. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. But I, I met yeah. you at a record swap. <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. After a late Saturday night, I got an early Sunday morning because I wanted to see what was going to oh, be wow. there. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when you're shopping for records, are you shopping for yourself? I mean, obviously you are mm-hmm. shopping for yourself, but are you shopping for your own home listening or are you kind of looking for things to curate your restaurant? playlist um i think it's a bit of both when i'm not at work i'm i'm i spend a lot of time at home and i spend a lot of time list i would prefer to listen to vinyl than listen to just like piping spotify through especially if i go and buy albums that i'm not particularly um in tune with or know that much about and listen to them and find that song that is the one the song that i want to hear over and over again Mm -hmm. and then i'll take that to the restaurant because it will remind it it, for me, it might ignite something in somebody. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. So speaking of songs that you hear over and over again. So this is a list of five songs that you play a lot when you are prepping for the kitchen mm-hmm. or you're prepping the kitchen or you're making up recipes. Um, so let's start with the first one. Bye. That was Bobby Womack, Fly Me to the Moon, from his 1968 debut album, also called Fly Me to the Moon. What's interesting about this song is that this is not the first time. Uh, This is a very um, new podcast, but this is not the first time that this song has appeared. But not this version, not this version. Oh, the Frank Sinatra. Yes. Um, I actually didn't even know that Bobby Womack covered this song, which Mm -hmm. is interesting to me. What, what What are your memories with this one? 
So let's fast forward to leaving the Caribbean when I was 13 and going back to the UK to live with my parents. Mm -hmm. We had a, what was called a gram. And it was one of those like large wooden record players that you can, it would look like a, almost like a coffin and you push the head oh, up yeah. and then there's the radio and what you stack all the radio, the, the vinyl on and it, they come down, they drop onto the, to the turntable. And Saturday nights after dinner, my father would stack a bunch of records and we'd have to sit down and listen to music. And he liked Frank Sinatra. But my mom didn't like Frank Sinatra and she liked Bobby Womack. And so that would be oh, nice that compromise. was kind of a like not an argument, but which was better. Ah. And that would be a conversation piece about like my parents would ask my brother and I why we liked a particular song. And Fly Me to the Moon by Bobby Womack just had more soul to me. Well, it definitely does, I would say. <laughs> like objectively speaking, <laughs> it has more soul than the the Frank Sinatra version. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when you're listening to the song over and over again in the restaurant. What are you doing? I, I love that you said over and over again because I have a <laughs> habit of putting a song on repeat oh, yeah. a lot. And so I'm usually, it usually just takes me to like a spot of not really being in the restaurant because I'm, I'm there so much. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm there, I don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I'm, I'm not, I don't love my business. I just don't want to be there sometimes. And that, course, that yeah. particular song is just, it, it just feels free. It's like feel it feels freeing. Yeah. He did um he wrote some songs that I didn't realize were written by him, Breezen by George Benson. Yeah. I know the George yeah. Benson yeah. version. Yeah. Yeah. I've known that forever mm -hmm. and I love that song. Had no idea that he wrote it. Right. Um I also did not know that he had married Sam Cooke's widow yeah. and was <laughs> <laughs> and was reviled for that mm -hmm. for a little while because Sam Cooke was his uh, was his mentor, mentor. his, his yeah. insp inspiration. Yeah. So, um, thanks for introducing <laughs> me to all of that information right. as I'm like learning about this new version. And it's a great album cover. Oh like, yeah, it has looks, the phases of the moon. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have it? You have the vinyl? Yes, I do. Okay, yeah. of course you do. Uh, <laughs> all right, so I'm I'm actually doing these songs in chronological mm -hmm. order, and so here's the next one. Okay, so that's a song that I grew up with, uh, Donna Summer, MacArthur Park, recorded mm -hmm. in 1978, produced by Giorgio Moroder and Pete Bellot. Um It was written by Jimmy Webb, who mm -hmm. wrote a lot, of, uh, a lot of songs back in the day, The Wichita Lineman, which I love, By the Time I Get to Phoenix, mm -hmm. which I love a little less, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, MacArthur Park is just one of those weird-ass songs, um, lyrically. Yeah. And Someone show me a letter you wrote me on the radio. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it was written. It was it was based on a breakup that he was actually going right. through at the time. Yeah. Um. So maybe this is a little on the nose, but does this song make you want to bake a cake? <laughs> 
<laughs> this song is this song is a funny song for me because so my brother and I are very very close and because we grew up with radio and on the weekends my uncles and aunts would be out of the house so we'd be left alone with my grandmother and great grandmother and we'd be watching either Soul Train or what was the show with Dionne Warwick and Andy Gibb? Um, oh, and they had the dancers. Anyway, I can't remember, but I remember. Like, oh, Solid Gold. Solid, solid Gold. Gold, yes. So Solid Gold came on, and this is the first time we had heard MacArthur Park. And my brother, who's super gay, and he won't mind me saying that, but was just like, I mean, he was just like, it was like a deer in headlight. He was just like frozen. And he was like, this song is it. And so we would we would just sing that song when we were alone together. And it would we'd play out the whole, I don't think that I can bake it because it took too long to make it. <laughs> it was just all these lyrics and they just had all these other meanings, you know. And then we were like, it's not really about making a cake and or baking something, you know. So the song to me is just also, I think... I really love Donna Summer, but I also oh, love yeah. her tragedy. Not, not not love it, but just feel that element of you, and you hear it in her music. And if you don't listen, if you listen to the songs that aren't her hits, that's where you really hear her pain. And so I feel like she really like gave service to that song. Like she put her all in that song. So it's to me, it's about like really feeling something. So what are you really feeling in the restaurant when you're listening to that song? Um, about making it, <laughs> like, yeah. like staying around, sticking around, like, especially in these times, like, I, I feel like that's really important for us to have stuff that is like, we have to, we have to stay here in Oakland. Do you know what I mean? We can't be invisible and we can't let the folks that are moving in, like, take us over. Like we have to like stick our ground. So that song really invokes that in me. Yeah. I can, I can hear that because mm -hmm. it's, it's one of those songs that like it has movements. Mm -hmm. yeah. It starts off really slow and it's very melancholic. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, that disco mm -hmm. beat kicks right, in and right. it's just, it's so, it's energizing yeah. in a way. And then Giorgio Moroda also has that thing where he brings in that kind of orchestra feel. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, like the, the crescendo, like there's that, ending that's almost like this build-up and I feel like I love that part of that the, that's Donna Summer song. Everything about Donna Summer to me is, you know, especially in that era, she was just, she was a goddess. Mm -hmm. She really was a goddess yeah. and I remember like just seeing her on TV mm -hmm. uh, and just her album covers and yeah. just her whole look, yeah. her hair, yeah. her eye makeup. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think everyone You're like Beyonce who? Like. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like like that's what I wanted to look like. I thought right. that as an adult <laughs> that's what this you is, go with. This is what you this is how you look. This is how you put yourself right. together. So shout out to Donna Summer for yes. sure. Yes. Um but before before we move on to the next song, actually, um on on the topic of Donna Summer, well, the last time I was in your restaurant, mm -hmm. um, oh God. <laughs> There was a really weird version of mm -hmm. I Feel Love yeah. playing. And um, I said to my husband, oh, this is a very interesting version. And then the the people sitting at the table next to me turned to me and said, I just said the same thing. <laughs> so do you know what version I'm talking about? Yeah.
And you, do you have you have a story about how you discovered this song? Oh gosh, how, oh I got caught up in that dark thing of looking for other people who'd made other people's songs. Oh yeah, yeah. And 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 I and so I'll do that. I'll Google a song that I like, mm -hmm. and then see other people. And then I'll even go to like different countries of people that have sung it. Mm -hmm. And this that one came up, and I wasn't really sure if I liked it or not. But I thought it would be a good conversation piece in the restaurant because people are like, "Wait, is this Donna Summer?" And you're like, "No, no." It, you get starts. It starts out like it, and then mm -hmm. you hear this this person's voice. Yeah, very operatic. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think very Russian. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that, you know, this is just an example of if you eat at Miss Ollie's, not only will you get a delicious meal, but your ears will also be fed. Uh, we're going to move on to the next song. favorites earth wind and fire that song is called wait um that is i guess a deeper cut from their 1979 album i am and that's the one that comes after all in all mm -hmm. which is probably my favorite maybe mm -hmm. but um tell me what's going on when you're listening to this song in the restaurant well i'll tell you where the song came from is 1979 and i went to trinidad and tobago with my aunt and i got my ears pierced for my birthday and it was like it was literally going into the back of a shop and then pushing an ice pick yeah. in my ear and it was it was awful mm -hmm. but she kept saying when we get back to the house you can listen to Earth, Wind and Fire <laughs> <laughs> because like that was the we were staying at my cousin's house and he had this huge Earth, Wind and Fire collection oh nice and I remember we phoned my brother, my another one of the bands that my brother and I both let, and I was like, "You won't believe that how many Earth, Wind, and Fire albums Adrian has." So the, my aunt knew how much I liked that, mm -hmm. and that was like my sit still and be quiet kind of thing. If you don't cry, you can, you know, we'll go home and listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire. Did that work though? Did that? Yeah. It yeah, did. Yeah. Okay. And that, so that album, like you said, Boogie Wonderland, all those songs were on it. And I'd known all those songs, but I'd never heard the album in its entirety until I'd gone on this trip. And that song was the song that stood out the most. And so I think when I play that, it's just when like getting to know an, an album as a child, like getting to know a complete album and not just listening to the hits. Yeah. And I think I learned that at that point in my life. And so to dig deeper. Yeah. Yeah. To, like, yeah. Don't skip. Don't yeah. just keep going to the top 10, you know, yeah. like listen to the whole album. And so I think in the restaurant that resonates with me with my staff, like they'll joke about my playlist, but then they understand like the way that it's going. It's not just a play. It's telling a story. And it's like, and if you just listen to it, you'll, you'll get the story at the end of the playlist. So how often do you build new playlists? For your restaurant, uh, it used to be once a week, and now it's not, it's like twice a month. Okay, um, but I'm always building them. But I then have to go back and listen to them, so I'm always building something in um, Spotify. But I'm, I don't always play it straight away because I I want to make sure that it makes sense. Oh, so the sequencing yeah. is a big deal yeah. to you. I mean, it should yeah. be a big big deal to anyone who makes yeah. a playlist. I yeah. think. Yeah, Earth, Wind, and Fire is one of those bands that like. 
they were, you know, this is the era of like double, triple platinum yeah. <laughs> hits. Yeah. And it wasn't until recently that I started going back mm -hmm. and back further in their catalog. And I'm sort of now discovering like their first album, yeah. which I love. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, you know, I, I think I, I never really appreciated the genius of Maurice White. Oh, and, and he's the one, I just got goosebumps, because he's the lead on that song, not Philip Bailey. And wait. And so, yeah. And, and they were like polar opposites, but they just did it so well. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It was kind of like, I think, like McCartney and Lennon. And I'm not a huge Beatles fan, but the two of them, like when they hold stay in their lane, I think those are their best songs as a group. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Interesting. That's an interesting <laughs> analogy. Um, all right. Let's go to the next song. Okay, Ashford and Simpson, Love It Away. This is from the 1982 album Street Opera. Um, so Ashford and Simpson are like a songwriting powerhouse that is, I would say, kind of under, underappreciated. Oh, for sure. Um, and they wrote so many songs that most people don't realize that they wrote. Um, a lot of Motown hits. Mm -hmm. Um, ain't nothing like the real thing. You're all I need to get by. Um, they wrote, let's go get stone. Yeah. Which I didn't know, which yeah. is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, so tell me about love it away. What is a, what are you, what, what are your memories associated with this one? <clears throat> um, I mean, th there's not a bad Ashford and Simpson song in my, in, in my eyes. And I just had to pull out that one because it's so, Hotel Nico in San Francisco, they would come, Ashwin Simpson would come there every year and do this Christmas residency. Oh, and really? I was going up until he passed away. Yeah. And that was my treat to myself. I'd go every Christmas and on my own. And so I, I fell in love with that song when I heard it live because the two of them on stage and Hotel Nico is kind of like the size of this bar. Uh -huh. And so it's really intimate. And I'd always managed to get like a front row seat. And yeah. I was always secretly in love with Nick Ashford. Uh, and so like just hearing his hair? him, it was everything. <laughs> <laughs> just everything. He was just like, I thought that he was like oh, he black Jesus. He was always Jesus. very feet, very fit. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but just hearing him sing that song live just like really, really moved me. In preparation for this recording, I discovered the um, the music video to that song, which I had never seen before. Have you seen it? Yes. Oh my! It is <laughs> it is like the visual um, embodiment of the early '80s. Yeah. I think it, they're just dancing in front of this mm -hmm. green screen, with a colored neon light background, yeah. and they have like that aura around them, mm -hmm. and they're it's. I mean, it's awful and amazing at the same time <laughs> because they're not the best dancers. Right. They're just kind of moving to the music. Yeah. It's not choreographed or mm -hmm. anything. But 
um, I was just mesmerized. And I don't know how... I don't know how I never saw that video before. <laughs> if you go and look, search for them like in concert as well. It's equally frightening too. I mean, because they're so, they're just in a different, they're in a different dimension. And like seeing them on stage, like they they, they were together for God knows how many years. They, like you said, they wrote all this music. And like at seeing them live, they'd always tell these little stories about each other. And I guess he used to, he was a big stoner. Oh, really? And... She was telling the story about what he was in the garden one day and she was playing this melody and she's like, he was outside smoking because, you know, he likes to smoke. And he came in and he just looked at her and he said, I'm every woman. She's like, everybody thought I wrote the lyrics to that song. She's like, he wrote them. No. And, yeah. And so, like, he, to me, is this, like, genius that embodies the male and the female. And so Love It Away is, like, he, I think he's, like, singing it from both ends, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I really, I, I like, I really appreciate them as, as, as music, musicians and, yeah. and writers. I yeah. think that, um, I think that they, they're one of the best duos in 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 my time that write music well that song uh in particular is um there's something really really comforting about those mm -hmm. lyrics i mean the chorus is just yeah. gonna love it away so cheer mm -hmm. up yeah um and i don't know to me i'm thinking for you like this is such a com comforting song and the food that you make is so comforting mm -hmm. so i'm just wondering if there's any kind of like if that's sort of what's going on in so your head. So after one of their shows, I invited his, after he passed away, she would keep coming back to, Valerie Simpson would keep coming back to San Francisco and his daughter took over uh, his place as singing or, and then this other male singer. And I invited his daughter back to the, another restaurant I was working at at the time. And I made dinner for her. Uh -huh. And that was the song. She's like, well, which song do you like by my parents? And I, and that was the song I played. And I was making her spaghetti. So it was like a comfort. I was working at Emmy's Spaghetti Shack in the city at the time. No way. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know you worked there. Yeah, I was a chef there. for like, that, That's where I started my career when I first came to the States. Wow. And so that song is just, it is comfort. It's just, it's like, you're, it's the end of a meal. It's like, you're just, you know, if you're with somebody you love or if you're around good people, like that, that song has got that chill, that yeah. chill vibe. So let's get to the uh, the the dessert, if you will. This is the last <laughs> song on your five song list. Music 
Okay, now this is a band I had never heard of. You've totally introduced me to this. Um, Imagination. The song is Music and Lights. This is a British 80s funk trio um, from the 1982 album In the Heat of the Night. What are you, uh, what's, what is 1982 Sarah doing in your mind? Uh, I was 13 and I had a paper round in the UK. I was delivering papers in the morning. Oh my God, that's so cute. And I had, uh, I got a Walkman for Christmas. Oh, nice. And it was like a Sony Walkman. It was blue and it had like orange headphones. And I had a cassette, the cassette of that album. And, um... Music and lights, it made me feel that like I was going to be really important when I grew up. Oh, really? Yeah, like there'd be music and lights. So, um, yeah, that's what I was doing. Well, was, it came true. I was, well, <laughs> some of it did. <laughs> um, so that song to me is like a finale. It's like there's music and lights. Um, and you can do no wrong, you know. And I, if you go back and look at their videos – there's smoke and there's dry ice and it's you know these three these three guys are from west indian backgrounds yeah. and they they put together like like you said funk and r&b in the 80s in the uk and yeah and i just love the tone of that bass synth mm-hmm, that they use it's mm-hmm. awesome yeah so that to me is like it kind of transports me to how i am here like i'm i feel very West Indian, but there's also this really strong British part of me as well, mm-hmm. black British part of me. And so that song, I always like end the night. If I'm the bartender at Masali's, I'll end the night with music and lights. Ooh, nice one. <laughs> so I'll know to get there late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so these songs are, and I, I, presumably that your staff is um, is young. Yes. Um, how how do they feel about these these classic? classic tracks um i mean there's it's 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 a it's a big a mixed bag yeah there's um there's songs that they'll ask me to play over and over again uh that didn't make it on this list but they they get it once they've heard them about 10 times (laughs) they they understand the meaning of the song those are the best songs not the ones that you grab you right away or the Mm -hmm. ones that like just sink into you after a few listens yeah 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 like MacArthur Park was one that like one of one of I shouldn't say one of my favorite servers, but one of my one of my favorite servers. <laughs> I ended up knowing all the words to that song. And I just and she's young. And that just made me that 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 just made me smile because it just it obviously meant something to her. Like because yeah. who who learns all the song the words to a, a Donna Summer song? These days I don't even know. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> You want to tell people where to find you, and if, is there any any social medias you want to plug? Uh, you're gonna find us at 901 Washington Street in downtown Oakland. Um, what I do want to say is that we just won Best Fried Chicken in California from the Food Network. Yes. And so for all of you folks that didn't so know deserved. this, gluten free fried chicken. It we do not serve. I mean, we do serve. Sorry, gluten free fried chicken, and um, it's become a real thing because. Uh, People have never known that. And we've been opposed to putting it on the menu as not wanting to turn people off. But yeah. it's uh, the best fried chicken is actually gluten-free. Yeah. And you don't miss the gluten. I exactly. can I can tell you. <laughs> for anyone who hasn't been to Masali's yet, you've got to go there. <laughs> if for no other reason, because you need her fried chicken in your life, honestly. Um, and, you know, if you're vegan, there's plenty on the menu for you there, too. Um <laughs> 
Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy and this was great. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I did, Pam. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Cheers. Like I said at the top of the show, that interview with Sarah was done before coronavirus swept the globe and kept us all in quarantine. So it might be a while before you can dine at Miss Ollie's again, but you can still order takeout and you can even get cocktails to go. Be sure to check Miss Ollie's Facebook page for updates on her limited menu and hours. And while we're at it, give a little love to our friends at Barshiru too. Follow their Instagram at Barshiru Oakland for ways to support their amazing staff and help them through this long closure. Meantime, let's go back to our pre-coronavirus recorded chat with our supreme selector, Barshiru's musical director, DJ Daniel Gar. Dan. Pam. What's up? Uh, not much. Actually, a lot. But uh, I've got two records for you, mm-hmm. as, as we always do. Yes. Uh, the first one is a, a group called Neriha. Uh, they're a collective out of the UK. Yeah. Uh, from... My favorite burgeoning all uh, ladies, or mostly scene. all ladies, mostly ladies. Yeah, this came out in 2019 on Domino. I have this record too. I love it. It's fantastic, and I think to me it really speaks to the incredibly collaborative nature of the UK jazz scene right now. Yeah, this is like a leaderless band. Yeah, I mean, all of these artists are in like three different bands, mm-hmm. three different groups. Whether they're the leader of that group or uh, a, a major contributor. And uh, they also appear as um, featured artists on a number of other albums by the likes of Sons of Kemet, Comet is Coming, Ezra Collective. Uh, And again, I think that just speaks to how tight-knit this young generation of UK jazz artists uh, are. And I think that's really exciting. So this one is very down-to-earth. It's kind of, it has some Afrobeat influences, which I love. Um, uh, And, you know, kind of all-star cast, Nubaya Garcia. Um, To me, the highlight, um, who I'm drawn to the most, is the guitarist uh, Shirley Teda. Yes. I love love her work on this record. Uh, It's it's really exciting. And I think that's why my favorite track on this is Riverfest. That's mine, too. (laughs) We're so in sync. I know. It's just super melodic, and it's really anchored by Shirley's playing. So I, it's I just, really just like a feature for her. It's 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 so it's so great. Yeah, I I read I just read a a, a Guardian piece on her. And she was talking about how she was, as a teenager, she was really into metal. Like, she really wanted to shred. But every time she did, people said she sounded like Wes Montgomery. 
<laughs> Which you can, I guess I, I guess I can kind of hear that on this song. I love that. Yeah. yeah, I mean this this track is is really anchored by her improvisational guitar work, and uh, you know the what's interesting about this group is you know you've got seven instrumentalists and there's no pianist or keyboard, so oh, yeah. I feel like that really allows her guitar to shine kind of across the whole album as as that melodic rhythmic underpinning. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just really good. And, and I think as you highlighted, it's really awesome to see so many women part of this scene. For sure. You know, I think, it, and I waver because it's like, you don't want to make too much of it because why should that, why should it be why a thing? Why should it be a thing? It shouldn't be yeah. a thing. But when you look at the history of jazz mm-hmm. and how male dominated it has been. Yeah. Still underrepresented. Absolutely. And I think it's, in, I think it's important to, to highlight how much um, these artists in particular are bringing to the table and redefining what it means to be a jazz musician and who can be a jazz musician. I couldn't agree more. I have one minor pet peeve about this vinyl issue, which is the three sides. Side four. Yeah, yeah. the missing side four. I don't like that. Well, I, I was with you, but side four is like an art piece. It's beautifully oh, yeah. etched and it's, it's like really a, cool. It looks like a spirograph. Yeah, it does have like a spirograph influence for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just like, you know, necessitated by the fact of wanting the highest quality audio production and not wanting to squeeze mm. all of those tracks onto uh, just mm. a, a, a double-sided LP. So the next record is one of my faves. I picked this one because I know you love it. Yeah. And it is an absolute stone cold classic. Uh, Bobby Humphrey, Blacks and Blues. Originally released in 73 on Blue Note. uh, But this is part of the Blue Note 80 reissue series. When possible, they they remastered them from the original analog tapes. So... Uh, these reissues sound really good, and uh, I'm really impressed with the curation as well. Um, hand curated by Don Was, the president of Blue Note, oh, yeah. and uh, Jem Karosman, who's uh, uh, part of the label as well. So, and this is one of a string of uh, albums uh, in this era uh, by Bobby Humphrey and Donald Byrd, um, which were uh, arranged and produced by the Mizell brothers. Yes, the Mizell brothers are uh, in a really important part of this era of of Blue Note and particularly Bobby and, and Donald Byrd's work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this album and uh, Satin Doll and Fancy Dancer are the three Bobby Humphrey uh, albums that the Mizell brothers produced. And I, you know, it's one of those things like if you love one of them, Get everything. Yeah. Get all of them because you won't be disappointed. Yeah. What is your Star Trek? Well, it's tough for me to pick just one because the whole album is so dope. Yeah. Uh, and I think like you look at how much the tracks on this record have been sampled. I mean, the, this this album is arguably one of the 
cornerstone jazz records for hip hop. Mm-hmm. You know, Harlem River Drive, sampled by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Blacks and Blues, sampled by Eric B and Rakim. So here's the beat. Every time it pounds, you get weak. Comfy embedded like a pillow. Bounce somewhere to echo. A voice is moist and plus mellow. Jasper Country Man, sampled by Diggable Planet. Absolutely. Blowing out, blowing out, blowing Diggable Planets clearly loved this record. Yeah. <laughs> they sampled the hell out of it. Uh, actually, that 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 cut, um, Blowing Down, which does feature Jasper County Man, is is one of my favorite Diggable tracks too. So um, this this album has really uh, helped define my favorite era of hip hop. Mm-hmm. But my favorite track is the the opener, Chicago Dam. It's just a killer groove. I mean, I could listen to that bass line for like 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it. Uh, and and like a lot of great first tracks, it does set the tone for the record. Um, you know, you've got the Mizell Brothers, just funky as hell production. Uh, and I love their vocal arrangements. The vocal arrangements are super tight. And it, it has, you know, uh, obviously along with the title and uh, the titles of each track, it's a very political record, you know, yeah. it, it kind of has this like funky, sunny, laid back sound because of the Mizell brothers, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean it wasn't a political record. And and I really appreciate that. And I think, you know, you look at this era of Blue Note and most jazz critics and quote unquote traditional jazz fans hated this yeah. shit. Yeah. They hated when Donald Byrd well, like, they're eating went the words soul. now. Yeah, and because these these records are classics and they really spoke to the politics of the time. Yeah. Without sacrificing any funk. You can hear these albums and so many more at Barshiru. Thank you, Dan, for sharing the love. Thanks to Sarah Kernan for feeding us physically and metaphysically. And thanks to you, our listeners. That's it for this episode of Select 5, but if you're dying to listen to any of the songs we discussed in their entirety, be sure to follow our Spotify playlist. We've got a link up on our website, select5podcast.com, or follow us on Instagram at Select 5 or on Twitter at Select 5 Show. Our producer is Kate Sullivan. Technical producer is Brian Douglas. Graphic design by Tim Palmer. Our recording studio is Bar Shiru, located at 1611 Telegraph Avenue. Follow them on Instagram at Bar Shiru Oakland. Until next time, I'm Pam Torn. Signing off. Peace.